You're walking along on Shabbos morning, on your way to Shul. It's early, the street is quiet. As you walk down the sidewalk, in the distance you see an object in the middle of the sidewalk. Looks like a green ball or something. And as you keep walking, you see, no, it's not a ball, but it is green. It's actually a wad of cash. Big bills. Smack in the middle of the sidewalk. You look at the wad of cash. You look both directions, all directions. There's no one to be found. The street is quiet. You can't even hear the distant sound of cars. Now, what should you do? It's very tempting. Obviously, this gets into the question of ownership and the responsibility of returning lost objects, Hashavos Haveda. But you know that in many circumstances, you're allowed to keep that money. And so therefore, part of you is saying, well, money is mukta. What a wonderful opportunity to show my devotion to Shmira's Shabbos, to keeping Shabbos. And I'm just going to keep walking to Shul. But part of you might be thinking, maybe Hashem rained this money down from Shemayim, from heaven, for me. I mean, we know the Gemara says Hashem cares deeply about our financial well-being. Chas HaKadosh Baruch and maybe this is his opportunity of giving me a bonus. And all of you is probably thinking, well, I really wish I knew Hilchas Muktza better, because what this comes down to is a Shaila question in how to deal with Muktza. That is the subject of today's class. We've had some fun these past few weeks in our classes here on the podcast and in our Muktza quizzes our Shabbos quizzes, we've investigated and discussed many interesting scenarios involving muksa objects presenting real-life challenges. One thing we've stayed away from in all these scenarios and questions that we present in the quizzes is in which way can a person move a muksa item when it is undoubtedly muksa? Our focus in our learning and quizzing was defining the parameters of each of the different muksa categories, like a kli shemalachtel iser, a vessel of prohibited use, like hammers and alarm clocks. We talked about valuable items, muksamach maschestron kis. We talked about muksamach gufa, inherent muksa like sticks and stones. And we've carefully defined each of those and what you can and can't do with them. But what happens when you're faced with a muksa object that fits into one of the categories that doesn't allow you to do anything with that object, like an inherent muksa item or a very valuable muksa item? What to do then? Is there anything that can be done? So today's class, this week's subject, is about the ways in which it may be permissible to move fully muksa object, objects. We carefully carved out scenarios with various options, but in none of those options in the tests and the quizzes did we give options of interesting ways, different ways, permissible ways in which one can move muksa. And that was done on purpose because we wanted to focus our attention on defining those areas of muksa and wait until today, till this class, uh, to define, to talk about all the various ways in which a person might be allowed to move fully mux objects. So the three main topics for today's class are number one, indirect moving. Number two, 
moving in an unusual way. And number three, number three moving unpleasant muksa items. We'll also include two other minor topics, which is moving, moving dangerous items and what happens when a child has muksa in his or her hand. So let's get started. But before we get into the full topics, let me just remind everybody that the, the uh, prohibition of muksa is against moving a muksa item. So when we talk about what are permissible ways in which you can relate to a muksa item, the first thing to remember is that it is permissible to touch muksa. The issue with muksa is moving muksa, but not touching it. So for example, you can lean on a car to tie your shoe, provided you're not going to set off any alarms. If you left a paper towel roll on a table, which is muksa machmas gufo, that is a category of inherent muksa that you can't move. Now, so if you left it on the table sideways, you can, you can prop a book or a safer on that paper towel roll. Uh, you meant to put away the toaster oven to make more space on the counter for Shabbos and you forgot. You can place things on top of it. You can place plates or food items, whatever you want on top of it. You can use it as a surface. The prohibition of muksa is against moving muksa. Just wanted to mention that, which we've mentioned before. Now let's get into our main uh, topics here. Number one, it's called tiltal min hatsad, indirect moving of a muksa object. When you have a muksa item resting on top of or with another non-muksa item, provided it's not a basis, a muksa base, you can check out the last class for uh, a full treatment of that subject. But when you have a muksa item resting on a non-muksa item or together with a non-muksa item, you are allowed to move the muksa item when your intentions and purpose is for the non-muksa item. For example, if you have a table with candlesticks on it and, I'll parenthetically, uh, you placed chala on the table so that it's not a buses, a muksa base. Again, check out last class for more on that. So if you have candlesticks on a table and you want to move the table, for, table over because you need the table elsewhere, you are allowed to move that table, even though the candlesticks will get moved along with it. Shulchan Aruch mentions a case of a basket full of fruit that happens to have a rock inside of it. You are allowed to move that fruit basket, even though you're also going to be moving the rock, because your intentions are just to move the fruit. If you have money left on a chair, and you need to move the chair anyway, you can move the chair. We're going to talk about one caveat in a minute, but you should be able to move that chair. Um, but what you can't do is to move the chair in order to save the money. You can't move the fruit basket in order to move the rock. Your intentions have to be for the non-muksa item involved in the equation. A great example of this, somebody called this week, uh, thank God, it sounds like muksa is on a lot of people's minds because of our studies, which is how it should be. And somebody had noted that we have books in the back of the shul, kids' books. Um, when we did the, uh, had the main shul renovated a couple of years ago, um, uh, one nice addition was the bookshelves in the back of the main shul. And we also um, outfitted a section of that bookshelf with books for children. One of those books also has a CD in it. I didn't know it when we purchased the book, but somebody pointed, out, pointed it out to me this week. 
there's a sleeve at the back of the book that has a CD. That is like an extra freebie when you purchase the book. And this person called, conscientious community member, uh, a Talmud Chacham, and he asked, well, am I allowed to move the book? Can I read the book to my son on Shabbos? Can my son take the book out of the shelf and read it on Shabbos? Is there a muksa issue here? This is a perfect example of what we're talking about. This would be Tiltam and Hatzad, an indirect moving of muksa. The CD is muksa. I'm allowed to move the book, even though the CD is in the book, in the back. I'm allowed to move the book because I want to read the book, even though the CD gets slept along. But here is the condition, the condition to this entire um, heter, this entire leniency is that you, if you can, you have to shake the muksa item off first. So our example above, when you left money on a chair and you can move the chair and have the money moved along with it, um, if you can shake the, tilt of the chair to the side and have the money fall, that's what you need to do. But if it's some place where you don't want to do that or can't do that, or you're going to have a child who's going to get to the money, you don't have to. But if you can, you're supposed to shake the muksa off of it or tilt the muksa off of it. Shochan Aruch spells out a case where you're moving that basket of fruit that has a stone in it. And if you try to overturn the basket to get the rock out, then some of the fruit is going to fall out too and it's going to become damaged. Then you don't have to shake out the rock. But if the fruit is, has tough rinds around it, or if it's dried fruit that won't become damaged, then you have to shake out the rock, and you can't just utilize this permissibility of moving the muksa along with the non-muksa. So uh, if on Arab Shabbos you were peeling potatoes for the chalent at your dining room table or your kitchen table, and you left a potato on a chair, and come Friday night you walk into the room and you want to sit down in the chair, so what should, you should do is tilt the chair so the potato rolls off, and then you can sit in the chair. Unless, of course, you're worried that the potato is really going to become damaged, then you don't have to shake the potato off. Uh, but then you're stuck with a potato on your chair. So even though you can move the chair, we have to figure out another way to actually move the potato, which we'll talk about soon. Let's say you left your phone on your bed. So if you have a soft carpet and there's no concern of the phone, uh, the phone will be damaged, so you can lift up the covers that the phone is resting on. The, fr- the phone will slide off, and then, then you can uh, use the bed, no problem. Um, let's say you have a rock that uh, somebody left on your deck table outside. And again, we're all talking about a scenario where there's no buses here. The, muksa, uh, the uh, item that the muksa is resting on doesn't become muksa itself. Check out the last year for that. But you have a rock on your, on your table outside. If you tilt the table, the rock is going to damage your wooden deck. You don't have to. You can move the table without moving the rock. So we've given some scenarios where shaking the muksa off is, uh, is going to damage th- something, damage the muksa or damage the floor. You can also um, utilize tiltum and atzad without shaking off the muksa, not just when a little damage, but even when it's very impractical. The Chazanish rules that if you have shells, um, or uh, crumbs on a table, which are muksa, you don't have to shake them onto the floor uh, because it'll dirty your house. And you can move the tablecloth or move the table um, utilizing this permissibility of tiltul minhatsad, of indirect moving of the muksa object. A very common usage of this heter is pushing muksa with a broom. 
Is pushing muksa with a broom moving an object directly, or is that indirect? So there are many important poskim, including the Chazanish, the Chai Adam, who view that moving muksa with a broom, for example, doesn't fall under this permissible category of moving something indirectly, because it's really just moving it with your hand, just using something to extend your hand. They viewed the broom as an extension of your hand. But the Mishnabura and many others rule that this is indeed a form of indirect moving of a muksa item. So that would include sweeping up dirt with a broom, or removing the shells or crumbs from your Shabbos table with, with a knife, sweeping it off to the side, would all be permissible because you are utilizing tiltum and hatsad, indirect moving of a muksa object. But the question here is, didn't we just learn that you're allowed to move a muksa item via a non-muksa item when your object, your intention, is for the non-muksa item, moving the chair and not the money? So why are you allowed to, to sweep up dirt on Shabbos? That's directly getting rid of the dirt. That's directly for um, the purpose of moving the dirt itself. The Mishnah Bura raises this question and gives two different reasons in two different locations. In Hilchas Choresh, the laws of digging on Shabbos, which is the main place where sweeping is discussed, he says that it's a special heter, a special permissibility of kavod Shabbos, of honoring Shabbos. You can clean up to honor the Shabbos. In Hilchas Muktza, he gives a different reason. He says it's because you do have a non-Muktza purpose here, and that is the space that is being cleaned, the clean floor, the clean table. Though you're not moving the floor along with the Muktza item, but by moving the muksa item, you're gaining space on the floor. And that's considered muksa for the purpose of a non-muksa item. With this understanding, it's clear that you are allowed to sweep up dirt on Shabbos or crumbs on your table. Would that extend, would that apply to sweeping up money? Let's go back to our opening scenario of seeing that money on a sidewalk. Our first permissibility of moving muksa is called tiltumenetzad, indirect moving. That includes a broom. So can you sweep up the money? The answer is, no, you can't. Because you're only allowed to do so when your purpose is for a non-muksa item or a non-muksa space. Here, your purpose in sweeping up the money, if you're honest, is to save the money for yourself later on. If you would try to sweep it aside. So therefore, this heter of tiltum and atzad won't help us in that scenario. This takes us to our next permissible way of moving, moving muksa. But before that, let me just mention one more thing, which is that there's one more, one more form of indirect moving of a muksa item, which is moving muksa tangentially. It's the same thing as tiltum and hatzad. I'll give you an example. The Gemara talks about a case of a fig which is buried in straw. You want to get to that fig. So you're allowed to pull out the fig even though the straw is going to be moved as a result. Um, if you want to take out a game from a drawer, and there are other non-muksa items that will get jostled and moved or fall off of it because of your moving the game, that is also a tangential. It's tiltum in hatsan. It's moving something tangentially. If you want to push a pot of food back in the fridge, and you're going to be wedging aside muksa things that are in your fridge, some raw dishes or something, that's also mutter for the same reason. That's indirect tiltal bin hatsad, that is indirect moving of a muksa object. 
But getting back to our main question, our lead story here, which is the money which is on the uh, floor, we mentioned that this is not going to be the way in which you can move the money. So is there another way? This gets us to number two. Our second permissible way of moving muksa, which is called in Hebrew, tiltul begufo, which means moving with one's body, which is going to be a bit broader than that. But the original example the Gemara talks about, moving straw off a bed, straw which is muksa, moving it off a bed, not with your hands, but with your body as you lie down, is permissible. That's fine. The Mishaburu explains, that's because one is not touching the muksa with his hand, his or her hand, which is the normal way of moving, but you're moving it in a very unusual way, with one's body or one's limbs. This is also called tiltul kalachayad in the language of halacha. It's also, literally, it means moving with the back of your hand, meaning in an unusual way. But that includes uh, moving with the back of one's hand, obviously. It includes moving with one's feet, uh, arms, elbow, any unusual way. And the big news here is that this is permitted even for the purpose of moving muksa itself, without any ulterior motives or alternative ideas. It's not like moving a muksa of prohibited use, which you can move only when you need the space or the place. It's not like uh, the example we gave today, the permissible way of moving muksa that we spoke about earlier, which is indirect moving a muksa when you need the non-muksa item. No, this is permissible even when you want to get rid of the muksa or move the muksa itself. I'll give you an example. A few years ago, we had a neighbor who um, had a crock pot full of ingredients, including uh, some expensive uh, uh, raw meat, and they forgot to plug in the crock pot before Shabbos and realized on Friday night. So now the question is, what can we do? Can we save these ingredients, these valuable chalent ingredients, or just have to leave it to spoil over Shabbos? So the answer is, in this case, this is a great uh, opportunity to utilize tiltal begufo, moving in an unusual way. So we found creative ways of taking the um, bag, the chalent liner, the crockpot liner, and getting it into the fridge uh, without directly handling it with our hands. It was an entertaining scene, but we, we got it done. Now this gets back to our opening scenario. So we said before you can't move the money on the st- sidewalk with a broom because that's indirect moving for the sake of the muksa item. But what you can do is move it with your foot. You are allowed to take that wad of cash, move it over with your foot into some bushes nearby, and come back for it after Shabbos. That is permissible. Um, another example of tiltal begufo, of moving in an unusual way, um, is when you move muksa that happens just by way of walking. The Gemara talks about walking through a grain silo where one creates a path through the grain as he walks. Uh, so too, walking through the woods. We have a lot of beautiful paths through the woods surrounding our neighborhood. If you're walking through the woods and there's some uh, trees or twigs in the way and you just brush through and they get moved to the side with your indirectly with your body or elbows or whatever, that is totally permissible. That's a great example of this. Tilta Bagufo, moving with one's body or moving in an unusual way. This uh, is the silver bullet in Muxa moving. 
this can always be utilized. Um, and there are some poskin who maintain that one can't just uh, abuse this privilege, this uh, leniency, but there has to be some need um, involved. And in all the cases that I mentioned before, uh, they feature some degree of need. It doesn't have to be any exigent circumstance or a case of loss. If you need to move the muksa for whatever reason, you can do it in an unusual way. Use your hand, use the back of your hand, your uh, wrists, elbow, uh, uh, foot, whatever, and that's all permissible. This brings us to our third category that we're going to discuss today, our third example of moving muksa. Now, this is a bit different because it's not a permissible way in which, to, to, which you're allowed to move muksa, but it's an entire category of muksa that is permissible to move, meaning it's something that actually is muksa, but Chazal, our sages, did not put, impose restrictions upon moving it. This is the category known as graf shel rei. Literally, it refers to, I guess, what we would call now, nowadays a bedpan. It's a, uh, a bucket, a receptacle full of human waste. Since it is so repulsive and so unpleasant and damages our uh, joy of Shabbos, Chazal allow us to move that item freely. You don't have to do it with um, any of the methods above. You don't have to do it indirectly. You don't have to do it in an unusual way. You can move it directly. But this category is broader than just highly repulsive items like uh, human or animal waste, as the Shulchan Aruch mentions. Shulchan Aruch also mentions a, mentions a dead mouse, a dead animal, as an example of this. It's much broader. This includes things that are not necessarily repulsive or disgusting, just unpleasant, like bones and shells on a Shabbos table. Those are items that are called a graf shalrei. They are in this category of repulsive items that you can just move freely in order to enhance your Shabbos. So what about items that are not disgusting to you? You don't really find them very unpleasant, but somebody else does. Let's say you, uh, you're a husband listening to this podcast, and it doesn't really bother you if there are crumbs on the table, but it does bother your wife. So are you allowed to move them, or does she have to clean up the table because she's the one who's bothered? Um, the answer is, the Chutzshani rules, that um, you are allowed to move an item that somebody else considers to be um, unpleasant. So how do you define unpleasant? This already um, alludes to the notion that it's personal. It depends on the person. Ramosha Feinstein talks about different scenarios. Sometimes if you have some, some item which is spread out all over the place, that could be very unpleasant. And that would be considered a graf shell rei. Whereas if it's piled up in a corner, it wouldn't bother you. That makes a difference. So it really is very subjective. It depends on the scenario and it depends on the person. Obviously, we have to be honest with ourselves, but um, it could be quite broad. Now, where does this graf shorei lie? For example, somebody once asked me if it's permissible to pick up after somebody else's dog, uh, if it's not directly on your property. Would that be permissible? Because it's not on your property and doesn't really bother you where, um, where you are. So the answer is that you can move a... Um, unpleasant item anywhere in your living space that you regularly frequent, even your porch, your backyard that you might enter in, 
or even an area where somebody else might walk by and it will be unpleasant for them. You can move a graf shel rei in that case as well. Now, I mentioned before that you don't have to utilize other methods of moving it. Just to clarify, that seems to be the position of the Mishnah Bura. Uh, Rav Moshe Feinstein says if, it's, if, it's, if you're able to do so, you sh- it's better to move even a graf shel rei through something else like a broom. Uh, the Orach HaSholchan goes so far as to recommend um, asking a non-Jew or a child to move that object, although Rav Moshe Feinstein says it's not a good idea to have a katan, a child, move a muksa item because he or she is not going to be able to discern, you know, not gonna, is, is not listening to this podcast, understanding this is a special category, and we don't want to teach our children that you're allowed to move muksa. So therefore he says it's better not to utilize a child. But the general consensus seems to be that it is actually permissible to move the item directly, but I thought it was important to mention Rav Moshe Feinstein's opinion in this matter. So those are our three basic categories of ways in which you can move muksa. Let me talk about two other uh, exceptions. One more is makom um, hezek, a place where a muksa item might cause damage if you have broken glass, uh, thorns or pins somewhere lying where people might walk, you are allowed to move them. Um, some posts can recommend, again, moving it through an indirect method. Um, others say that if it's something which is very dangerous and, uh, and needs to be moved, you don't have to wait to fetch another item, but can move those items carefully and directly. So that's another example of where it's permissible to move muksa. And finally, I just want to mention, make sure that we cover this as well, because it's a very common scenario. If you have a child who is carrying a muksa item, let's say your child's outside, picks up a rock, is walking around with it, and you want the child to let the rock go, um, and the child won't let the, release the rock, are you allowed to pick up the child anyway? child has the rock, the twig, the pine cone, uh, if it's a muksa pine cone in his hand, doesn't want to let it go. Um, are you allowed to carry the child anyway? Or do you have to force the child to put it down? I mean, what do you do? So the Shulchan Aruch says that a person should not lift up a child who is holding muksa in their hand unless it's a situation of the Shulchan Aruch calls ga'aguin, which in contemporary Hebrew literally means a yearning or a longing uh, the Shulchan Aruch says if you don't pick him up he is going to, uh, to become ill from, uh, from the desire to be picked up and just become emotionally distraught Mishdabura talks about a case of Sakanas Choli where he's going to be really really upset but even though the Shulchan Aruch Mishdabura seem to utilize terminology that indicates a very extreme situation the Shmir Shavas Kolachas uses a lighter language he writes that it's permitted to pick up the child who is holding muksa, even when it is uh, apparent that the child desperately would like to be picked up and you need to do so in order to ensure he doesn't uh, cry or have a tantrum. So the Shmir Shabbos Kolchas' interpretation of this law uh, gives a broader definition of how upset the child needs to be in order to, be, uh, to allow us to pick up the child. Um, but uh, the best option, if possible, is to wait for, to instruct the child to put down the muksa before picking up the child. So this covers um, a great many scenarios 
in which it is permissible to move non uh, muksa items. We talk. Our main examples are indirect moving of muksa, um, and again, that should be done for the purpose of the non muksa item, and only when you can't shake off the muksa item. Um, and uh, the other category of muxing, moving muksa in uh, in an unusual way, like with one's body or some other unusual way. Um, and also, we talked about muksa which is disgusting or repulsive or just highly unpleasant, and the permissibility permissibility of moving that muksa as well. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful Shabbos.